Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU. Southern Utah's news talk leader. Hey, welcome to the show. I got here this morning. I don't know. It, it was one of those mornings where things went wrong all the way through. I had some uh, difficulty with uh, getting ready in my vehicle, and then I got here, and the printer wouldn't work. And Hey, uh, I, I got your back, Andy, because I, oh, I, I, I saw you get us ready 30 seconds before we were ready to go on air, and then the machine froze on it, you. It did. I never did get the printer working, by the way. I, so I am paperless today. I, I didn't use a, a paper for my morning show at all. So anyway, uh, welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Steve Dunham is here from the Washington County School District, as well as Superintendent Larry Bergeson. Hi, Larry. Hi, Andy. Good to be here How with you. How are you doing, man? You've got to lean into that microphone a little more, okay? okay. Ma- pretend like you and the microphone are really good friends. I'll eat it like those at concerts do. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Like like the Garth Brooks you were just That's telling exactly us about, right? right? <laughs> we got it. So, uh, and uh, Larry, I was trying to think back. I don't know if you've ever actually been on this show before, have you? I don't know that I have. I've recorded some radio ads mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. studio, like I have most of them here, but I don't think I've been on this one. I first got to know Larry, uh, he was uh, principal Dixie High, right? Yes. How long ago was that? Oh, this is my 10th year superintendent, and I was there okay. six years, uh, six years prior to that, I principal don't... of Hurricane Middle. I did not know that part yeah. of it. Yeah, that was before I met you. So, uh, yeah, did, principal Dixie High, uh, did you... It's kind of the natural progression, get more education, move up the ladder, move into the school, you know, the, the, the school district offices. Did you, maybe when you were, say, 25 years old, see all this happening? Never. No? <laughs> no. I wanted to be a teacher and a coach like most who start in education. Yeah. We go into it because of the kids. And uh, so, no, when I was looking at this down the road, administration was a goal down the road. But I'm not sure I ever dreamed or thought of being a superintendent until about the time I applied. Yeah, if job came open, you're like, why not? Can yeah, I thought I'll give it a go, hmm. see what happens from there. Biggest That's... challenge, bar none, is being away from kids. Oh, I thought you were going to say working with Steve Dunham. <laughs> that yeah, could be too. That's, that's a close second, but other than that, <laughs> we're good. But yeah, being away from the, the students has been my biggest challenge. Yeah. At one point, I was all ready to go out and be a high school principal again because I was around kids, and I love the activities. Yeah, I can see that, uh, especially if early in your life your goal is to to help the kids, to be around the kids. And then you, uh, I mean, a great job to, to be superintendent. I'm sure it pays decent and you have probably lots of fun trips and things you do, but you don't get to hang out with the kids as much. No, do you? The, the kid touch time, I have to create that and I look for every opportunity to do so. Now, I only know, I think I know just one of your kids, Braden. Uh, you have how many, though? Larry? I've got three uh, boys and one girl. Okay. Uh, all three of the boys live here close with all their kids or our grandkids. And then a daughter that lives in College Station, Texas. Texas nice. A&M Texas Aggie. Texas A&M, yeah. Yeah. I have some Aggie jokes to tell you later from my time living in Texas and being a Longhorns fan. Oh, so. there you go. <laughs> Remember the old, uh, I'm going to be politically incorrect here, the old Pollock jokes from back in the 60s and 70s? Oh, yeah. Well, in Texas, they didn't tell Pollock jokes. They told Aggie jokes. There you go. It was, it was the same thing. It was kind of the equivalent. I know. There. They get fairly uh, personal about those things and protect their <laughs> turf very strongly. That's true. It's true. And, and actually, uh, you know, A&M is agricultural mechanical, kind of a military setting. And I, I actually would trust, uh, you know, you could trust your life with a, an Aggie, a Texas yeah, A&M that's, Aggie. That's what pretty, I hear, that 
Health Man Award is yeah. well deserved and sure. and uh, recognized down there. For sure. Well, we appreciate you guys coming in, and everybody's like, well, it's summertime. Why are you going to talk about schools? Well, there are some things happening, too, uh, in the offseason. You know what's funny? Yesterday, I was uh, in a Zoom meeting. Uh, it was about our football broadcast coming up in the fall. And I'm like, well, that's that's in the fall. That's way. And they're like, uh, yeah, our first broadcast is in like one month from yeah. today or something like that. I was like, Oh, I guess we need to start thinking about that stuff, don't we? Yes, we do. We start <laughs> earlier than anybody does, or, or as early as any school district does, August 11th. Mm. So especially for those who might be listening that are new to the area, it catches people off guard. We yeah. love starting early. Um, if we're going to be so hot outside, it's good to be inside with air conditioning. And our fall sports start early. Uh, earlier than a lot of people think, usually the end of July, 1st of August, uh, fall sports are underway, and that wow. has thousands of kids, coaches, staff that help take care of that. So we we figure we might as well be in school, get an early start, and then we break just perfectly timed for Christmas break. How, how long has, because I, I mean, I've been here 28 years. Uh, it seems like school has started early for all those 28 years here in southern Utah. How long has that been a policy, and is that the real reason? Is it because it's hot outside, so you might as well be in school? I think that's one thing, an, an activity start. The other is the timing of the first semester break, which mm -hmm. is around Christmas break, ends right before Christmas break begins instead of coming back for a week after. Right, so the thing right. that drives that yeah. probably more than anything is we found it's best for kids, usually fall back on that decision breaker, and that is what's best for kids. To end the semester before instead of have Christmas break for a week or two weeks and then come back and expect finals just didn't work. Is there any, do you guys get any flack for that? Any uh, negative feedback saying, why are we starting so dead? Yeah, we get a little bit, especially again from those who move in and are used to starting towards the end of August. Yeah. But for the most part, people understand it, recognize it. And many have chimed in and said, we already start with those activities. Our kids are tied down. We're tied in town. Why don't we start school? It's hot outside. They're around the house. Let's just put them in a building and start teaching them. Plus, it provides an opportunity for us to um, be out by Memorial Day as well. Mm -hmm. And so people can That's start true. their summer a little bit earlier, and parents seem to really appreciate that. Isn't that true, Superintendent? Yeah, very true. We've got 180 days that we need to hold school. Uh, there's little variation uh, built into that, especially since COVID, uh, yeah. that we're still lingering. But for the most part, it, it uh, is driven by those two things. When first semester ends, to avoid any uh, carryover into that uh, post Christmas break time, and then we need to end school before Memorial Day so that we don't try and bring them back. You mentioned COVID, and I've talked with Steve and the, and the board members about this many times, but uh, first of all, uh, you guys handled it very well. Uh, we were very proud of the way that Southern Utah and Washington County School District in particular handled all the, I mean, the shutdown and the masking and, and things like that. Uh, but I've got to ask you, Larry, as as the leader of the district, do you, do you see... Uh, in the future, long-term effects of, of what what happened with COVID. And I don't mean the politicization of it, but I'm talking about the masking. and kids. I, I had two kids in high school when it first happened. Uh, why my one daughter didn't have a graduation. And, you know, bless their hearts, they tried really hard to make it special for her still, but it wasn't it quite the same. the same. My other daughter, I really feel like uh, because of the masking situation, she her social group kind of fell apart, you know, and... and uh, and, and so I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, what's the long-term effects here? And maybe we don't even know yet. Maybe it's too early to tell. 
I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, Andy. Uh, academically, there was a big enough adjustment and transition. Yeah. Um, but I think social and emotionally that some of those concerns and even scarring are going to be more significant and will take longer to manifest themselves than mm. an academic deficiency uh, would be as well. But, you know, for the most part, COVID, of course, was a huge, significant change and adjustment that everybody had to make. But I really feel that kids, probably more than anybody else, uh, bore the brunt of that, uh, starting with graduation in 2020, yeah. when they couldn't have graduation. And not just graduation, but all of the activities for the spring Sure. Uh, there were quarter. no senior nights or yeah. whatever. None it of that. was just a huge adjustment. But I need to say, before I forget, everyone from students, parents, community members, staff, teachers, bus drivers, secretaries, cooks, the works, everybody had to make a huge adjustment and sacrifices for the benefit of kids. Masking up wasn't something any of us wanted to do. It wasn't yeah. comfortable. Uh, we could understand it, would have chose not to do it. But in order to keep kids in school, uh, we made the decision to put masks on, go back to school, keep them in school, largely for those social and emotional reasons, as well as the academic well, you know, I, like I said, I really congratulate the uh, Washington County School District. You guys really did a nice job of, of handling it. There are a lot of schools in our country, even in our state, who did not handle it very well. They were shutting down and closing and opening and reopening and closing. And, you know, uh, I, I wanted to ask you guys on the same topic, what about the virtual learning? I, it, it's funny because, like I said, I had two kids in school at the time. My one, my older daughter hated virtual learning. She just, it, it, she, and then we're talking about a 4.0 student. We're talking about, a, you know, an academic scholarship student. She could not stand the idea and, and just doing it. My other daughter, who was 16 at the time, loved it. She, in fact, she uh, went to uh, college. She graduated early and went to college, a virtual college for six months or whatever, because she found it to be uh, a way she could thrive. Uh, did you? What was the reaction generally? Us, you, and uh, Steve, and and you, Larry, uh, about virtual learning? Well, well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Some kids really did well, but mm -hmm. you have to have a personality that can adapt to that type of learning. A lot of children did not do very well, yeah. and we saw that in our in our test scores when we came back to in person learning. So we knew that was impacting a lot. Um, once we were back in person, we still did see a big increase in our Utah online school that is part of the district. And that increase has continued to mm -hmm. this day. Isn't that accurate, Superintendent? Yes, very accurate. You know, as Steve talk, or points out, uh, online learning, you know, it didn't start with COVID, but it was, what, put on steroids yeah. with COVID <laughs> and picked speed, up immensely. Yeah. <laughs> it was our only option for a period of time, of course, spring of 20. And then we had both options. But because it worked out and was already cycling up when we went into COVID, it has continued to cycle up. Uh, there's three words we use for that. Anytime, any place, any pace is mm. huge. And it gets outside of brick and mortar, fits the needs of a lot of students. But... As we've discussed before, and many experts have recognized, nothing replaces in-person instruction uh, uh, with students in front of a certified, loving, caring, competent teacher. And so Agreed. we try and keep it that way. There's a lot of reasons that that's good. And a lot of those reasons deal with the social and emotional well-being of students that take place in a more normalized setting that students will experience the rest of their life. 
And that's why we feel in-person learning is so important. And we're so grateful that we were able to keep kids in school. And again, it took everybody's efforts in order to bring that to fruition. We don't have as much poverty as somewhere, you know, like L.A. or or New York or whatever. But was there a problem with some students maybe having access to the virtual learning? Uh, Did you have to distribute laptop computers or help people with their Internet connection or, or whatever? Yes, we, we definitely did. We, we distributed hundreds, if not thousands, of laptop computers mm. during, especially that, that final semester of, uh, of uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. So many went out, and then we, we were able to get in some additional funds. They were hard to find laptops mm. that we could replace because really? if they got wow. damaged, whatever, but we knew we needed more. And then providing access via the internet. There were a lot of uh, resources that came available that we tried mm-hmm. to tap into so that students had access to that online learning. Mobile hotspots. Uh, there were uh, a lot of organization companies, network companies that stepped up and said they would provide it. Uh, you know, a lot of that was uh, facilitated by what we call ESSER ARP money or stimulus money that was given to school districts mm-hmm. and organizations in order to provide these services that allowed education to continue in a more normalized basis, even though, again, as we've discussed, virtual isn't normal, but it's part of what we do. We have became of necessity even though we were very good at it compared to a lot of districts, a large number of our teachers use what we call learning management systems like uh, Canvas and Schoology very well, mm-hmm. but not all did. Now every teacher has had experience and has found it necessary to be able to deal with virtual learning. Mm-hmm. Is, is it still going on? I mean, not obviously summertime. Is it still going on, though, in, in, you know, when school ended? Were there a lot of kids still mm-hmm. virtual learning? More and more students opted for at least a portion of their day to be virtual, mm-hmm. and especially in the secondary. Mm-hmm. When you get into the little bit of middle school, but a lot of high school students, they would opt for either online courses, concurrent enrollment, which, of course, they're usually in person, but sometimes not with concurrent. But a lot, and the majority of those are taught on campus. But, yes, it became more and more prevalent, and I don't see it going away. You know, hopefully it could level a little so that we can get our hands around it a little better because there's yeah. scheduling and adjustments providing brick-and-mortar teachers versus virtual teachers. A real benefit to us and a real positive is when you look at what we call online schooling and learning options, we house within our district Utah Online School. That's directed by State School Board member Laura Belknap. Mm-hmm. She technically is an employee here for the district and has done such an excellent job, employs hundreds of teachers, but it allows us to have a little more say and control in how our online learning uh, takes place with our students. All right. Well said. I got to ask it because I'm a radio guy. There seems to be a little bit of a surge right now with COVID-19. Does that concern you as a superintendent and as, you know, as a member of the, of the management here watching this county? Let me tell you, <laughs> when we got done with 2020, we were, we were excited about uh, the 2021 school year, thinking especially kind of at the end of the spring that maybe this thing would go away more and mm-hmm. quicker. Obviously, it didn't. And 2021 was the year with masks and a lot of controversy. But, you know, those that were pro-mask, those that were anti-mask. And we kind of made it through that year. And then we got ready for the next year, just certain that we would not have any problems. (laughs) And then, of course, you have the Delta variant. And it Mm -hmm. raised its ugly head. And then we kind of got through that. 
and uh, we thought, well, maybe at the end of the year we'll be okay, or by mid-year, then Omicron (laughs) shows its ugly face, and we have to deal with Omicron. And then we kind of get through that year, and we've had a few other little variants. And now we've got, what, B5 or something like yeah. that. The, the variant, BA 2.75, yeah. This thing's never going to go away. <laughs> I do feel everybody in the world, and especially, you know, here in the United States and in Utah and Washington County specifically, we become more, what, understanding of it, more tolerant of it. Not that we should be negligent and not watch out for the safety of students and staff and everybody else in the community, but also understanding there's a price to be paid if we don't get back to as normal uh, a lifestyle, including Mm. education, as we can for the benefit of the whole. And we learn to be careful, but committed to doing the right thing for kids. So that's kind of where we're at. And that price is to be paid not only through education, but also economically throughout our whole entire community. That's a very good point. One of the biggest parts of allowing um, business and everything else to get back to normal, and parents will admit this, and so will businesses and everybody else, kids have to be in school. If they're not, who's going to be home to watch them uh, and make sure they're taken care of? So a precursor to allowing employment and everything else to get back to normal from the onset especially, but as we continue on in this is, let's return uh, life to as normal as possible and let's have kids in school so parents can go to work. One of the things that was on my mind today, and you touched on it just now, was the idea as of, uh, and I hate to term it this way, you guys might take exception, school as a babysitter or school as a refuge from what might be happening at home. Is that something, and you know, Steve has talked about this in the past before too, and I'll ask you, uh, Larry, is is that something that you're okay with, you know, or is it something that's kind of frustrating to you? Because, you know, I, I watched as my kids went up through the school system and we were pretty involved parents, pretty active parents in our, in our kids' education, but we were the exception, not the rule, it seemed like. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something we've been aware of for a long time. Um, you know, we understand that we feel a very important role, not just academically, but even pay daycare, if, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, but it allows parents, number one, a break, and number two, for to work if they choose to do that. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of moms will stay home till all kids are in school, at least in kindergarten. Uh, you know, and, and we've gone half day traditionally in kindergarten, but lately with new legislation and some financial supports, we're going to full day kindergarten. It used to be optional or and for kids who fell behind, but now it's for everybody. No, we're not offended with that. We understand it. We get it. You know, all of us have been parents and had our own kids in our, in our homes. So it, it's a good thing, uh, but, but it can also be a driver. For example, in Wyoming, when we discussed seriously four-day week for school, what was the biggest problem and concern about the f- fifth day? Babysitting. Yeah. Everybody's working. <laughs> Who's going to watch the kids? And so we get it. And we understand that, so we don't have any problem with it. It's just part of life and and how things have have worked for years here. And we're just happy to do our part, uh, provide a safe, nourishing place for kids. And unfortunately, for a certain group of kids, and we found that out through the spring of 20, the safe place for a, a fair number of kids is school. Mm. It's 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 where the you know the consistency, a good meal. Um, you know, a balanced day of activities is provided for kids uh, that sometimes don't always get that and sometimes not 
totally the fault of parents. It's just a matter of life and work and everything else that they're doing. So we understand and accept that part and are happy to be a part of it. Nobody's yelling at anybody. Um, yeah, you don't. I, I mean, you 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 uh, let some of the parents off the hook, and that's understandable. But there are some parents who are really struggling with some own some of their own personal problems, whether it's alcohol or drugs or or some kind of abuse. And uh, yeah, schools. Uh, it's funny because it's kind of turned turn for back when i was a kid and probably you too larry school was a little different in that your safe haven was your home yeah and school was sometimes kind of the risky place to be you never knew when yeah. some bully was going to kick you in the tail yeah. or something like that now it's kind of the opposite isn't it yeah it is you know the way schools have been set up and, uh, and and the responsibilities they've been given but a lot of it is because there's the consistency of providing all of those things socially emotionally academically and, and even physically for kids mm-hmm. from meals uh, has moved more towards schools uh, than perhaps what it used to be where more of those things, families were around a dinner table and, and everything and were found home more often than they are now. But it's a fast-paced, busy life that everybody lives. And I'm, I'm not so sure that a lot of it doesn't come as a re... You know, there's the pros and cons of everything. You take the Internet and cell phones and the availability of any, you know, kind of anytime, any pace, any place learning. Well, anytime, any place, any pace access <laughs> to each other, to information. Yeah. And it sometimes it occupies too much of our time at the expense of person-to-person interaction between people and i think there's that's coming at a cost uh, steve i don't want you to maybe give specific examples or specific it's certainly not names but uh, i know you've talked about a couple of times where you've really been touched emotionally uh, knowing that school basically has made all the difference in a kid's life versus a home life that is not good oh definitely definitely this is to create a positive learning environment, one of the foundational building blocks is safety. If it isn't safe, if people don't, or, or if students don't feel welcome, comfortable, they can't learn. And so, intentionally, we've created the places where they can come. It's a refuse, a refuge from uh, home life, from the outside world, where they can learn. Just focus on what they need to focus on. Mm-hmm. And and we saw that so strongly that first month in 2020, that fall of 2020, when we were back to school, um, the detrimental impacts of stu- some students having to be home that much. Yeah. It was, um, we had an increased visit to all of our counselors. They were overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw an increase of sometimes visits to our, our school resource officers because things had to be reported that happened during that time that were just horrific well i'm glad school is there for our kids and uh yeah hopefully we don't need it as a refuge or a refuse either refuse, one yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah I, i'm glad and like i said i really feel like you guys did a fantastic job of getting the kids back to school as soon as we could you know, I mean, obviously we had to shut it down for a while, but uh, I got to get a, a commercial break in here. We're talking with Larry Bergeson and Steve Dunham from the Washington County School District. Thirty was thirty six thousand students, something like that. Yeah, pretty close to that. Unbelievable, a lot of students. All right, we'll be uh, right back after we check with weather right now. This is Mark Levin, and you're listening to the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890-92.5 KDXU. Stay tuned to KDXU for my show at 6 p.m. today. 
Welcome back. 936 on KDXU. We're talking with Steve Dunham, the communications director for the Washington County School District, and his boss, Larry Bergeson. Hi, Larry. You doing all right, man? Steve, you guys doing good? Good, yeah. are good. good to be yeah. here with you. You could fire him right now, right? Like if you uh, want to. Oh, it might be hard. He's he's uh, he's pretty good at what he's he does. He's established himself well yeah. enough. I don't think I could get rid of him either. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Steve. We wouldn't want to fire you. I'm just saying he could. Right? He could. He, he definitely yeah. has that authority. My so. boss could walk in right now and fire me, too. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully that you and I have done a good enough job that that wouldn't happen. But yeah. there is that potential. I know this. My boss doesn't know how to run this radio station. So if he fired me, he'd be in big yeah. trouble for a little you just while. just switch a few wires and you're good to go. <laughs> Steve could probably run. You could probably do it, right? Uh, I don't know. These newer boards. <laughs> I, I'm used to a reel-to-reel. <laughs> Uh, dates himself with that statement just a little bit. Yeah. I, I was in I was in a meeting yesterday uh, for for our new corporation. We got bought by Town Square Media, and uh, they were trying to like they took a break and they said, "All right, everybody in, in the chat, write down your favorite or type in your favorite dinosaur." And uh, there was like Stegosaurus and Tyrannosaurus and ra- Raptors and uh, Velociraptors, and then somebody put a reel to reel machine because that's how old they are, I guess. So. Yeah, that's true with the razor blade and everything. Uh, you talked to Larry a minute ago about uh, cell phones mm-hmm. uh, or mini computers, as they what they really are. Uh, and I'm curious what policies are in place now, district wide, when it comes to uh, students and cell phones. I know cer- certain teachers get praised because they have like a little thing on the wall, and you put your your phone in the bag on the wall, and but then students will protest. That's not for you're taking away my civil rights and whatever. So what are the the district-wide policies, and then are there is there much wiggle room for each school, each teacher? There is some wiggle room. The district-wide policy is basically don't use them during class. Okay. Keep them down. Uh, but if they, can, an they can have them. Oh, they have them, and it's okay. part of life. And I think it's a lot like we discussed even with the new realities with COVID and virtual learning. Part of that whole lifestyle is cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we like to have access. Parents like to know where the kids are. Uh, it's just part of life, and for the most part, we've learned to live with them. Um, if you were to ask teachers, are they sometime an interruption uh, into a classroom? Absolutely. Um, you know, early on, I think, with cell phones, I was at Dixie High during a lot of that. Um, and you would have phones, and you would have teachers that would have a basket or different things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes kids would lose them. Sometimes they would be taken uh, it wasn't without its own set of problems. At the end of the day, it's much easier to leave them, uh, teach them how to get along with, respect them, just like get along with, respect uh, the Internet. You know, yeah. you, there's just lots of things we have to learn. And we discussed the pros and cons of technology and, and the network and cell phones. And you can access anything pretty well, any time, any place. And so teaching kids how to be responsible with them, and that's part of the world. And at times even use those cell phones. Mm-hmm. You're pretty accessible to obtain information. You know, you've got computers, calculators on them. You can get a lot of information from them. So that's more where we are. We just asked uh, students and parents to be respectful. And if the teacher requested not to have them out as they teach make sure that they don't but it's something we we deal with but we feel like we do just fine with um you know but it's always uh kind of at the top of some discussions uh, mm-hmm. especially with certain teachers who find it uh it too interfering with their teaching style but yeah it's part of the world we live in 
have someone that's our age or older, Larry, you're, they're going to be the ones that are going to be like, I, nobody should have a cell phone, not, not in my class. But yeah. uh, does it ever, Steve or Larry, does it ever come to a district level, complaints about that type of thing? Or is it usually contained within the this classroom or the, or the school? It periodically makes its way to a school board member or something, or we might, uh, you know, receive some communication from a parent about it. But for the most part, I would say it's 99% successful in handling it the way that we do. But, you know, is it to say that it's not an interference on some occasion or, you know, doesn't cause a problem on some occasion, that would not be correct. It does cause some problem at times <clears throat> but for the most part most part we've learned to live with it and we manage it successfully and I, and I think we've provided a framework where schools can go a little bit stricter or more lenient if they need to um we find in a lot of our intermediate schools as these younger kids are getting their cell phones they don't quite know the etiquette and so there are some more restrictions mm. the schools may have it in place where you can't even have it out except for at lunchtime and and you can't turn on the camera at all things of that nature because we're trying to teach them hey you have a, a, an opportunity to respect the privacy of others don't take their picture post it don't do those things you know that, that that's not appropriate for a school setting and and they need to learn that there are times it's appropriate there's times it's not and uh, for the most part um, we support our schools in doing that because we recognize that there are environments where they may have to confiscate that phone and and have the parents come in to retrieve it and and have a discussion about what is proper etiquette for cell phone use and sometimes we reach that point you know again Mm, clear back at dixie that's 10 years ago but we would have parents come in and it happens every day uh, you know, or or at least on a fairly regular basis, where parents will have to come in with a student and an administrator, and and discuss the appropriate use of a cell phone so it doesn't become too disruptive. But again, largely we're able to handle that. School goes on. We're able to respect everybody's rights and privileges. But there, you know, some of the concerns around cell phones, such as bullying and cyberbullying and mm. things like that, we we've learned to deal with those. But again, that's the world we live in. We just need to teach kids how to appropriately and responsibly uh, handle those uh, things. You know, and I think there's also a good lesson for parents here too, because some children are becoming so emotionally attached to that device. That's that's unfortunately the very very truth. Steve. It, it, exactly, they, they love their phones. I've seen it with my own children, where mm-hmm. I say, "Hey, no, I'm not going to let you sleep with your phone." And boy, the tears flow. Well, at yeah. school, we'll take the phone away, and kids will have emotional breakdowns wow. because they're so attached, and they need to recognize. And this is a thing parents could help us with: have a time where your child has to be removed from their phone. It will help them recognize that they don't need to be attached to it because right now, some younger children think they need it near them at all times, and it's not healthy. It's not healthy to sleep with it. It's not healthy to be that close and that attached to it, and there is that attachment with a lot of children, and we're seeing it more and more. And a lot of grown-ups. Yes, uh, true. You know, you, you talk about the kids, and we're, we're maybe being a little more hard on the kids than we should be because they're learning it from their parents. True. I, you know, I, I told you this was last year. We stayed in a hotel, and the lady uh, had a cell phone. The kids were in the pool. You know, so hey, mom, look at me. Hey, mom, look at this. She could not take her eyes off her yeah. dadgum phone the whole time. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, uh, you know, you're kids about to drown you don't care i guess i don't i don't know but anyway uh i was going to ask you steve um 
I don't believe there's any reason for a kid in elementary school to have a cell phone. I don't, I don't think there's any really valid reason. But setting my personal beliefs aside, is that something that's happening? Are you guys finding that not just high schoolers, not just kids that drive, not even middle schoolers, but we go back to fifth graders, third graders, first graders. Are they getting phones down too? Oh, definitely. But that's not our choice. Right. That's, a, that's a parent's choice, and, and we can't interfere in that realm. You know, it, it does create a challenge for other kids. You know, I, I personally, I established an age where I said, okay, when you reach this age, you can get a cell phone. Mm-hmm. We did too. And yeah. that was a struggle with my kids when a lot of their friends were getting them much earlier. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I kind of stuck to my guns on that. And I said, no, you went, this is, you'll get a phone when it's convenient for me to give you a phone because that's <laughs> what it's about. At this age, yeah. when I need to contact you is when I want you to have a phone. I know some of our elementary students have phones, but I think a lot of them, just following that same line of thinking, Andy, have those watches that they can at least, they can oh, hear, yeah. they can communicate, but it doesn't hmm. have the accessibility of the internet and everything associated. Gab watch, I don't, I can't remember the name of those things. I don't remember either. But my, some of my grandkids have them, and, you know, hmm. they'll sit there, here, just a minute, I'll find out, and they'll go and they'll talk into their watch, and... So, yeah, age-appropriate, but it's, it's something that we need to deal with because it's part of life. I, I noticed a lot of younger kids have uh, iPads, though, and, and not phones because you can still track it. Uh, they have you know, a bigger screen to play their games on or whatever, and they're not making phone calls anyway, usually. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm amazed at my daughter. I'm like, uh, you know, she's 18 now, but uh, I'm like... Uh, you don't talk on the phone very often, do you? She goes, no, why would I talk on the phone? I'm like, well, to communicate. She's like, just text them. Why would I talk? I- you know, just in the last <laughs> week, I learned a new feature that you can set up on an iPhone. I don't know if I can do it on my Android, but on an iPhone, you can establish your children's phones that are controlled by your iPhone, and mm. you can set the time when they quit receiving and sending text messages. You can control all of that from your phone to their iPhone so that, say, 9 o'clock is the deadline, you turn all that off and your child can still have their phone with them, but they can't send texts and receive texts. They don't have that interruption so they can get that peaceful sleep. And and you can kind of control a lot of those features. You can control even access clear down to their Wi-Fi through that. And, and I love that. And I'm shocked that I didn't know that until, like I say, last week is when I, I found that out hmm. from our head counselor, John Butler, who was teaching me what you can do. And I'm like, oh, my heavens, if only I'd have known, I could have been so much more proactive with some things. I actually put together a, a contract that I had my children sign that said certain things on it. Uh, and, and for instance, uh, the phone, nobody talks or looks at their phone during dinner. Mm-hmm. No phones at the table. Uh, you dock your phone every night at nine o'clock. It's in a docking station in the kitchen, in the, you know, in the central part of the living area. And uh, it's funny. I made. I had my kids all sign. I didn't say I'd make them. I didn't hold their hand and push them. But they all they all signed it. Uh, but I was sitting there thinking about it. It's like, well, what else would they have done? I guess their only other choice was to not have a phone. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I did force them into signing it. But, uh, but yeah. that's good parenting. You're yeah. setting ground rules, limits, and that's healthy. Ground rules, limits, that, that helps a person understand when it's appropriate, when it's not. And, and listen, there's, there's certain times that it's just never good to have around.
You know, I think that's an important thing. And as I'm sitting here listening to both of you, one of the important things is to have parents help with that. Mm-hmm. And as mentioned, so that school isn't the first time that somebody's telling them they have to put that away for a period of time. Oh, wow. Then it yeah. becomes a much larger issue. If parents have been proactive in assisting with that, requiring a certain amount of time or certain times of the day that they don't have their phone on, I think... Uh, being able to responsibly handle that in school is much easier for their student and certainly helps the academic and learning atmosphere at school. All right, we've got to take a break. When we come back, more with Commissioner Bergeson and, of course, uh, Steve Dunham here. Uh, I should probably bring up how Larry stole my gold medal. I should probably mention that by making, I think it was 11 three-pointers in one game. It might have been that. I think, but I, think I like your story better than what the actual numbers were. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be right back on the Andy Griffin Show. This is the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 92.5 KDXU. Stay tuned for Clay and Buck coming up next. Steve Dunneman was just showing me a picture, it's in black and white. Uh, of course, it was a newspaper clipping, and most of those were black and white anyway, but of, of a guy shooting the basketball. Number 12. For the Utah State Aggies a few years ago. His name? What was his name, Steve? Larry Bergeson. Larry Bergeson hits a shot for the Aggies. You and, played, played and that's some pretty good form, you got to admit. Look at that oh, jump on him. Great. Look at the follow-through and everything. Yeah. yeah. Little it's Jimmer Fredetti's up in the air. And, I don't remember your threes that you made against me in the senior games being jump shots. No. They were set shots. (laughs) shots. Perhaps the biggest adjustments I have ever made in the game of basketball is going from a true jump shot shooter to a set shot. And it's another reason when you say, I don't see a lot of jump shots in senior games. Well, the scorecast starts at 50. You'll see a few. I still, I think, shoot a jump shot, but it's called a credit card jump shot. There's a reason there's no sprained ankles in senior games. Yeah, I, I was going to say, <laughs> there's jump. only stubbed toes, Andy. There has to be jumping in order for there to be jump shots. That's exactly so, right. Yeah. In fact, I played uh, pickleball with a couple of young guys the other day, and they were jumping up and slamming it. And I said, hey, I, the people I usually play with don't jump. That's not fair. You can't do that. So anyway, yeah, former uh, college athlete Larry Bergeson. Uh, I want to ask you, Larry, uh, of course, superintendent of schools here in Washington County, uh, do you like where high school sports is headed right now? Is, is, it, is it in a good place? Uh, one of the things that was, was a weird ruling by the UHSAA in the offseason, but maybe warranted, uh, boys soccer got the entire sport of boys soccer got disciplined. In fact, I think what they, they had a game taken away, two games taken away, and uh, uh, obviously they, they felt there was an issue with, with oh, yeah, boys soccer did. and sportsmanship. But do you feel like we're in a good, good place right now? You know, sports is good. Any activity, you know, mm-hmm. I even say the arts, any connection, uh, FFA, ROTC, you know, any of those type of activities are good for kids. Any connection that ties kids or students to school and attending school uh, so that we can have them there and they can participate both academically as well as socially, emotionally. There's a lot of character building. You know, any of us that have played sports or any activity, I say again, there's a connection, there's a group, there's uh, there's learning to be uh, to be able to, to compete and work with and around other people. Life's competitive, and it's good to learn that life's competitive and be able to learn how to deal with winning 
deal with losing uh, and everything that's associated Being with a teammate. The, so yeah. from yep, teammates and and how to you know they always say take one for the team. Well, you can be a role player, you can be a main player, you can be all kinds of players. There's individual sports where it's nothing more than between you and a track, you and a swimming pool, and maybe you and a competitor like in wrestling. So yeah, there's a lot of good about it. I think there's a couple of concerns as I look at it. I think. Sometimes it's become too competitive, mm. and everything and all the emphasis is on winning at, at times too much, and maybe not just from the coach or even the school, but from the parents and the pressure that can be put on kids. I also think that we've become too specialized, meaning uh, back in our day, again, you know, everything. I graduated high school yeah. in 1976. Multi-sport athletes were expected. Mm-hmm. You're expected if you played, you know, football, you played basketball, you played and track, baseball. you played baseball, yeah. you did everything else uh, associated with that. Everything's year-round now. And, uh, and if so, if you've got a multi-sport athlete, or even if you don't, every week of the year you've got things going on. So consequently, through the Utah High School Activities Association, we have periodic moratoriums where they can't participate for a period of time That's a good in idea, an organized way yeah. a certain sport. And it kind of goes from build around seasons so that it's not so hard on student athletes and parents and coaches. Sometimes the ones that need to break are the darn coaches yeah. because they're yeah. so committed. It's getting harder and harder and harder to find people who are willing to coach. Why? Two reasons. One, it's a win at all cost, which takes the fun out of a lot of it. And that is the number one reason that athletes participate. Or for that matter, any kid in, is involved in any activity. They want to have fun. They want to be around friends. They want to be associated with a team and yeah. something that has a purpose. But it becomes at too big of a cost if it's year-round and there's too much pressure uh, placed on those kids. So there has to be that old term, balance in all things. Just keep balance, moderation. Uh, certainly there's going to be individuals, uh, individual student athletes uh, or student participants in any sport that want to carry it to the next level. They should have that right, but it had not to be the type of thing that's forced on anyone. Do you ever see a day where the high school coaches will get, you know, big pay bumps. I mean, we, everybody's about their public employees. Yeah. Well, so is Kyle Whittingham and you know, he makes millions of dollars a year. Do you ever see a day at the high school level where a football coach or a basketball coach will get paid a lot more money? You've seen that trickle down from pros. Pros of course mm-hmm. gets paid. And that's usually the difference between an amateur and a pro. One earns money. One doesn't. Well, that's trickled into college. It's actually trickled a little bit into high school hmm. when it gets into compensation and, or recognition or different things. When it gets into advertising, you know, there's some parameters set up that they can't represent a specific school, but they can individually and things right. like that. So could it reach down uh, and its fingers get right down into high school sports in a similar manner? I would say it's very possible because hmm. as soon as you say it isn't possible, then it will happen. So we just have to be careful and protect the innocence of kids as well as coaches and make sure that at that level it doesn't become too commercialized or, or, or too uh, monetarily uh, controlled because I think it will lose uh, the, the main purpose that we do it for kids. Well, and I can tell you, Larry, you know I've been doing the, uh, ball games here, high school games here for nearly 30 years. I haven't done it for the money. Trust me. There's very little money involved for well, me. Most coaches, I do it because I love it. Yeah, yeah they do don't do it. They it. do it because they love kids. They love the sport. And they love to see the good that becomes uh, from it. 
for sure, for sure. And that's why that's why you guys are in this profession, right? It's the truth. Exactly. Being around the kids and see them succeed. And uh, unfortunately, we've uh, pretty much used up the whole show. Uh, Superintendent Bergeson, great job today. I, I want to call you Larry because I've known you for a long time. I am more comfortable with Larry. I know you are. So. I know. And and, and uh, communication specialist Dunham. Thank you, sir. I mean, Steve. <laughs> Steve works the best. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for coming on today. It's been a great show. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Andy. you, Andy. All right, that'll do it. To tomorrow, Chris Staley, Washington City, will join us. I saw him last night at the movie theater. We had a chat, and believe it or not, he's nervous. Maybe I should be, too.